It's always difficult to say goodbye to people, and I'm um, aware this morning that we're saying goodbye to the Colleen's. Where are, where are they? Where are the Colleen's? They're out at the coffee bar, of course, serving right up to the end. But I see, yeah, I see, I think I see Gary out there, and maybe not. Oh, there's Judy sitting right there, and yeah, okay. They're in the process of moving, and um, they're going back up to Oak Harbor. So if you see Gary and Judy this morning at the coffee bar, please um, give them a hug, tell them we love them, tell them you love them, and, and all, of their, all of their great work on behalf of uh, Mountain View and serving at the coffee bar week after week after week. So we go with our prayers. Have you ever experienced a time in your life <clears throat> when you were extremely discouraged? I have. It was actually, I think the most discouraging year of my life was 2005. It's not difficult to figure that out. We were three years into using this new worship space that had been completed in 2003. And while things were okay, we had not experienced the uh, kind of numerical growth that I had imagined. Even though I don't really believe in the maxim, if you build it, they will come. To be honest, I still thought, at least a little bit, I thought it might happen. It was discouraging. 2005 was a discouraging year. In addition to that, there were other difficulties with family realities that made for an especially troubling, discouraging summertime, making it difficult to even get out of bed in the morning much less to be emotionally available to others, which is kind of part of the job description, you know, or to appear happy or energetic, all of those things. I've shared this before, but one conversation I had with a close friend made a big difference for me, and I remember the words that she said as if it were yesterday. She said, your challenge, John, <clears throat> is to resist the temptation to imagine that what you're experiencing is the end of the last chapter of the story God is writing. The story of your life. It is not the last chapter of the story. Wow. I, I will tell you those simple words that day kept me on my feet. Perhaps it doesn't seem profound, but I was encouraged. It was nothing less than a shaft of light, light that sliced into the middle of my darkness. This is the kind of thing I believe Paul is doing in the text we have before us this morning. This text from 1 Thessalonians 5. He's talking about the story of their lives, these Thessalonians. He says, now, about the times and seasons, basically, what will happen to you? Your life story, your story, the future of you, what's going to happen? Pastor Dan gave us a phenomenal message last week concerning this, the same kind of thing, but basically more about those who have already died. What will happen to them? Paul says the Lord will descend from heaven and the dead will be caught up with them and then we'll all be with Christ forever. Dan reminded us, always 
He's with us always. If you didn't hear that sermon last week, you really need to. It's online. It's easy to find on the website. Listen to that sermon. It's a great sermon. As biblical commentators point out now, Paul's words in that chapter, chapter 4, are mostly about those who have already died. Chapter 5, where we are today, concerns those of us who are alive now. What will happen to us in the future? What will be our story? And he makes two main points on this question. First, whatever happens will happen suddenly, without warning. When the end comes, it'll be like a thief in the night. One of the things to notice here is that we don't know when it will happen, folks. Always be wary of those who say they know when Christ will return. Have you heard this before? People come up with predictions about times and dates of when Christ will return. I have three words for you about them. They are mistaken. (laughs) Paul says it'll happen the same way a burglar comes into the place he's been casing, planning on committing his crime under cover of darkness, in secrecy. That's the whole point. The element of surprise. And even Jesus said he didn't know when it'll happen. And if that's true, how will anyone else know? We don't know when it's going to happen. It's a secret. It'll be a surprise. So that's the first thing Paul points out. Of course, the underlying message there is just be ready, always ready. But second, Paul compares the event to labor pains of a pregnant woman. In other words, when that begins, there's only one conclusion, a baby. (laughs) Something new is happening, and there's no escaping that reality. When labor starts, there will be a baby, right? When Christ comes, it affects everyone everywhere. It will be the beginning of a whole new age. Those who have chosen to reject God will face judgment. Those who are, in in Paul's words, those who are children of light will experience the joy of salvation in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. Dying for us so that we might live. So summing up, Paul is teaching that Jesus' return will be a surprise, and that everyone will be involved. There's no escaping it. Everyone will see it. Now, this is just a very broad brushstroke of all that Paul is teaching here, but there's more. But I want to focus on, in on one phrase that is repeated here from verse 18 of chapter 4, the previous chapter. There, he says, encourage one another with these words. The words that, about being caught up in, together with the Lord and to be with the Lord forever. He says, encourage one another with these words. Say them to each other. And then here, in verse 11 of chapter 5, he says again, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. 
Now, whenever something is repeated like this, folks, it's never an accident. Paul is repeating himself on purpose because he wants to make sure we get this point about encouraging one another. It's clear to me that he is here addressing a need. The Thessalonians had probably had some teaching about the end of all things, probably from Paul, but they were discouraged. Some of them had died. They had questions about that. And they also had questions about what happened to them. So Paul basically says, be ready for Jesus' return. Always ready. In fact, you need to stay awake. Be vigilant. You know that word vigilant? Vigilance is, is, is more than non-sleep, something that some of you are struggling with right now. Come on, guys, wake up. Vigilance is not just opening your eyes, it's actually being alert. And you know what? This is a key to encouragement. There's a connection between vigilance and encouragement. Staying awake to the good future God has for you and me. And the way we do this is by encouragement. I see, when I look at the whole topic of encouragement, I see two distinct levels of encouragement that are often needed. The first one is what we usually think of, and it's great. In a Bible study written by uh, Pastor Nicky Gumbel, the pioneer of the Alpha Groups movement, he wrote this about encouragement. Encouragement is not flattery or empty praise. Encouragement is like verbal sunshine. It costs nothing. It warms the hearts of others and inspires them with hope and with confidence in their faith. Verbal sunshine. I love that. We underestimate the power of encouragement. You probably know I wasn't here last weekend. I got to go skiing in Tahoe. It was amazing. But I got to ski with a young man last weekend who has a unique and powerful way of encouraging other skiers. I'm talking about Dr. Hal and Stephanie's son-in-law, Lucas Stevens. He loves skiing, loves it. But he doesn't just love skiing down the hill, he also loves riding the chair and seeing other skiers and snowboarders who are trying really hard, and he yells at them. If he sees someone who's really doing well, they could be a beginner, they could be an expert, it doesn't matter, but if he can tell they're really trying hard, he yells at them from, the, you know, from above on the chairlift, they're skiing under him, and he goes, hey, you're killing it! <laughs> and it's really fun to watch these skiers, you know, with his voice of saying, you're killing it! And suddenly they start skiing with a little more energy, you know, and they start making their turns better, and sometimes they fall, you know, but it's, so, but it's great. <laughs> Encouragement. And, you know, if it works for skiers, it works elsewhere as, uh, elsewhere as well. I love reading with kindergarten kids, especially this time of year. About February and March, they start to get it. They're just learning how to read. By the way, some of you could join me across the street. 
I volunteer at Cascade Elementary. I go over there every Wednesday. And that's kind of when it fits into my schedule. If you are ever near this school, really, or any school, and you have a free hour in the day, you really ought to try this. It's a great way to serve our community. You can help kids learn to read by just listening to them read. Just listening for accuracy. This room is full of people who are fully qualified to do this job. I've long believed that part of our report card as a church Our report card as a church involves things like how many third grade kids across the street are reading at standard. That's part of our report card as a church. Their success is our success. Amen? Anyway, that's an aside. I love working with kids that are just starting to get it. And, you know, they can sound out their words for the first time. They're starting to be, be able to figure it out. You know, they can spread the words apart and then snap them together and they're starting to read and, and they make huge strides at that point in their understanding and their comprehension and their ability to read. And then they finish reading a book to me and I say to them, I love this moment when I look them in the eye and I say, you're doing better at this. Do you know why? And they're looking at me like, I think it's because you are super smart. You could do anything. Do you think that? And they go, yeah. (laughs) You're really smart, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I love that. Just encouragement. So encourage one another, Paul is saying. It's not just flattery, but with words that are true. They hit the mark. It's like verbal sunshine. The way the, proverb, the writer of Proverbs said is like a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's beautiful. It helps. It's a big deal. So there's one level of encouragement. But then there's this other kind. It's the kind that cuts through darkness, especially when things are really, really black and hard. It's the kind I heard from my friend that I mentioned at the beginning this morning. It's no accident that Paul is talking to the Thessalonians about the end of things because it's very possible they faced persecution or even death threats. If you read this passage in light of that, it takes on another meaning. When he says, whether we are awake, which is his way of saying alive, or asleep, his metaphor for death, we may live with him. This takes on a different meaning. You see where he's going with this? Your, de- your life can be in danger. You may be facing ultimate realities, and yet you can still live. This is very similar to what Paul expresses in Romans 14:8, these words that have been read at countless funerals for nearly 2,000 years. You've heard this before. If we live, we live to the Lord. 
And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. It's because of what Christ has done for us that life takes on an eternal quality. And when things get really bad and physical death is a reality, this is one form of encouragement that can keep you on your feet. And that is to remind each other that there is more. It's not the final chapter. There's more. Even if the life of a, of a loved one is ending, your life's end is in sight, there's more. Even if you don't think you can go on, there's more. For you are children of light and children of day, he says. For God has destined us not for a wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. There's more. Friends, stay awake. Be vigilant. Encourage one another with these words. There's more. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we give ourselves to you today, grateful for this word of encouragement. Lord, may we never, never be shy to speak these words to each other. Thank you, God, for eternal life. Thank you for the grand reunion that we'll have someday. We give ourselves to you, Lord. We give our offering to you today in gratitude. Through Christ, amen.